Welcome to the Hey Salespeople podcast, where we focus on delivering immediately actionable best practices for sales professionals. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan from SalesLoft. Hey, salespeople. Today, it is our great pleasure to welcome Chris Cornbrust to the show. Welcome, Chris. Hey, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Also got one of my trusty co-hosts, Sean Day, person. Welcome, Sean Day. Hey, thanks. Chris is the Senior Director of Enterprise Sales at Seismic. We are not only a customer of theirs, but they are also a leading sales enablement and marketing orchestration platform. We might talk a little bit about sales enablement, but we're going to talk more today about Chris's experience as being uh, very frequently rep number one inside of companies that he's joined, very, very early stage companies. Of course, Seismic is uh, pretty big now. Uh, and we'll talk about some of those transitions too. Chris, in, in order to get to know you, I'd love to ask you maybe about an interesting or unusual hobby that you have outside of selling stuff, or unless you sell something unusual on the side, I guess that could qualify too. Great question, Jeremy. Um, outside of work, I'm also a third degree black belt in Shelling Kempo. I've trained mixed martial arts, uh, also jujitsu, Muay Thai, knife fighting, stick fighting since I was four years old. So it's very much uh, an active and, and large part of my life. I take from it a lot of the discipline, right, that I apply to sales, a lot of the confidence that comes with that and entering a room. Furthermore, also a level of um, almost spiritual connection. It's a lot of breath to movement, you know, and, and just finding your inner chi and your inner energy and just attacking every situation. So I definitely have correlated my, my martial arts into sales. That means you enjoy pain. So I would assume that that's a perfect, it's a perfect segue into the fact that you have frequently been like rep number one at the places you go. You've had a bunch of those experiences, but let's start with one of those experiences and yeah, and, and tell us about it. So I, I guess versus a lot of more career salespeople, I had rather an unconventional, more entrepreneurial introduction to sales. I'll, I'll just start it from the beginning. When I went to college, I started a company called Smart Touch Technologies with an engineer buddy of mine. We went to market with the world's first ultrasonic leash training device for dogs. And I realized very early on, you know, again, you can have the greatest idea, but if you don't know how to go to market and sell it, it's never going to go anywhere. So that's what really started my passion for sales. I always knew that I was, um, you know, very outgoing and had an ability to connect with people, but I really put my mind to studying sales, you know, becoming proficient in that. So I got the books from Zig Ziglar, Grant Cardone, some of the bigs, Brian Tracy, right? And I was really listening to all their audio tapes and stuff and inspired. And so, you know, that was the first stab at entrepreneurship where I managed, I built the website, I created our, our content, the messaging. I went to, you know, the major trade shows in the pet industry and signed contracts. It was a really great experience. Uh, we actually had a, a little bit of a successful exit from there. And so from there, it was like, all right, what's next? So I actually dropped out of college uh, to do that business. And then I, I learned early on that you don't always succeed at every venture. And so the next one that I started, we wound up failing. We ran it into the ground. So that was like a, a humbling moment. And I was like, all right, what, what do I do from here? I know I'm good in sales and marketing. And so that's actually where I got my first sales job. I worked for a company. It was an inside sales position selling B2C. It was called Accredited Debt Relief here in San Diego. And uh, it was bullpen style. There was, uh, when I started, only about 40 reps, but we grew to about over 120 before I left the company. Talk about it was almost Wall Street-esque. We had bullpens, sales pits, very scripted. It's helping people consolidate their debt either through loans, through credit counseling, or through actually doing debt settlement. And so then we had TVs all around the room. Every time somebody closed the deal, there'd be a big ping. Everybody would cheer. It was high energy. And I was like, I love this. This is my home. 
you know? And so from there, I, I was always in the top five reps, even as we grew up to 120, even though I was one of the younger on the team going against more like sales veterans, I had a passion for this. I would show up early, leave late. Since that was your first kind of proper sales job working at a place with, you know, with other reps, how did you learn? Was it just trial by fire? You get thrown in there with your script and you fumble a bunch of times or did, or did they have any sort of training? That was a great question. They actually had a really robust training program. The CRO, his name's Ted, unbelievable salesperson. I also had a wonderful sales manager, this uh, gentleman named Marcus LaSalle, following what works best. I would stick to the script somewhat, but very quickly found my own flavor. All calls, any warm up in any other way? No, it all outbound. I mean, they had a remarkable inbound lead generation through multiple funnels. And so when we got on the phone, these people were motivated, they had a need, and we had a solution. So it was just making sure that you could build trust in a very short period of time with a complete stranger. That was another great skill and something that I learned quickly that, you know, is a must in sales, right? You got to know, like, and trust somebody before you do business. And especially trusting somebody with your credit, which is a very sensitive thing for people. So you had to be honest. You had to be transparent, you know, big for that. And yeah, not everybody was willing to take the leap, but those that did saw benefits from it. And that was, that was always the goal, right? You're building trust and getting them to talk about their money, not just that like delicate financial situation for, for them, and then having them commit to work with you on, on debt relief. What are some of the breakthrough things that you would do to build trust and rapport? It's a great question, Jeremy. I'd say lead with empathy, right? You know, you know that these people wouldn't have clicked on that website or filled in their form information unless they had a need. And that need, of course, you know, is from their financial, you know, situation is is desperation. So if you come out there high flying, high energy with somebody who's reserved, hesitant, a little scared. Leading with empathy, matching tone. That's actually another skill that I learned is because I'm not seeing them face to face. It was just understanding, okay, you know, if this person's talking like this, match that, you know, hey, it's okay, right? Versus if somebody was, you know, a little bit more high energy and you could tell that, then match that tone too. So it was tonal matching, which is a rapport building technique and leading with empathy, I think were two big things that I, I started with. And the other thing was knowing your stuff, right? Like if you knew about the programs and you could educate them first and then lead them to the right solution, right? By understanding what's the best fit for them and not just what makes it the biggest commission, you know, the ethics, right? That's, that's a big part of it as well. And did you learn all those skills from actually doing the job? Or you mentioned you had a really good CRO. Was that part of your training? Yeah, because Marcus LaSalle, my, my sales manager, that guy was uh, you know, just unbelievable in his ability to connect. And I picked up on that from him. Like you'd be your best friend in a whole 30 seconds. He's a great guy. Same thing with Ted, you know, again, so I did take from that mentorship for sure. Uh, I was also, like I said, a big student of sales. And so Zig Ziglar, Brian Tracy, Grant Cardone was another gentleman I, I connected with his content, took a lot of value from that, the outside sources as well. I was going to ask too. So you mentioned that you dropped out of college to start your business. What were you in school for? Your path sounds a lot similar to mine where I was in school for entrepreneurship and my entrepreneurship professor actually got me into sales by saying that the best way to know what it's like to be an entrepreneur is to have a commission only sales job, which is so true. Yep, absolutely. You're, I mean, you are building your own business as a sales rep, right? Within a company. So yeah, I was in school originally for business management with a minor in entrepreneurship. It took me 10 years, but I, I did wind up going back to school and finishing with that degree. When I got to college, I already had such a strong understanding of what I wanted to do. And I wasn't getting that from college. I felt 
I didn't need to take these classes. I just wanted to jump in the pool and see if I could swim. And it was the time in my life where I felt, hey, I'm young enough. If I mess up now, I've got plenty of time to go back and figure, figure this out. So that's why I took that leap early on. After accredited debt relief, I guess you got hooked on the, obviously on the sales job. Did you then go and, and be rep number one after that? Or, or did you go a bigger company yet? No, I had started a startup uh, with a guy I was actually training jujitsu with at the time. And he had this idea. Originally, it was going to be just a side project for fun. And here's another random hobby. I was actually a DJ for quite some time in EDM, Deep House. And I would DJ at Omnia and some big clubs here in, in San Diego. He was as well. We also trained jujitsu together. And so originally we wanted to start up a music festival and it was going to be all charity, completely free to the public, but donations. And then we were going to choose, I think at the time we did like a, a food for the homeless um, drive, right? So it was a charity based, just fun event. And so I helped them organize that. I built the website and did all, ran all the marketing, you know, through social media, launched with success, absolutely loved it, got that bug. And a couple of the people that came out to that, they owned a company up in Oregon that did stretch fabric designs for different events. So, and that was their sole focus. We quickly learned one of the, the two partners in that company, they didn't see eye to eye and he wanted to go start his own. So he said, Hey, I love what you guys are doing. We have synergistic interests, I should say. Do you guys want to team up and start a company? So he was the CEO and I was the first sales hire there. I built all the go-to-market. Uh, the buddy I trained jujitsu with, it became our operations director. And so we started that company called Day One Collective, um, selling to event uh, management companies and experiential marketing agencies, a design and fabrication service. So it was B2B, you know, the employees could range from a single, you know, man or woman show doing event management up to, you know, 100 plus 150 person commercial or, or small businesses that were working with the largest brands in the world. So we didn't have a portfolio. We had a no-name brand, but we had actually a lot of great contractors that could do, you know, woodworking, metalworking, you know, all kinds of fabrication stuff. And we said, all right, we just we got to maybe sink some money into a few projects to build our own stuff, to build some website content to show that we can prove this out, which we did for our second festival, which was really fun. And then said, hey, look, these are the design services, the uh, fabrication services that we can offer. And then it was time to go make some money because we had none. We just put money in. And so I was literally kicking down doors, cold calling. I bought lists of event managers, implemented all of our, our tools. So, you know, we had a, I think it was Yesware that we used for some email automation, Zoho for the CRM. So that I'd selected those, implemented them just by myself, built it up over to, it was a $1.5 million company. You moved from uh, what sounded like a heavy inbound where you, as you said, folks were motivated, open to talking to you to the complete opposite, right, is no one has ever heard of this company. It's brand new. In fact, you're 100% outbounding off of lists that you bought. How was that switch for you? How did you handle that? Because it's rejection after rejection after rejection. (laughs) Absolutely. Um, So how I handled it, again, first and foremost, was to dive into the the research, educate myself, right? It started with more books, more podcasts. And I said, it's kind of putting my back up against the wall. You know, I I was making six figures at the time at Accredited. And so I left that job to make nothing, literally nothing and said, I'll eat what I what I kill, so to speak, right? And only pay myself a commission on what I sell. And so that back up against the wall, burn the bridges type mentality forced me to get up every single day, be very regimented, make a certain number of dials. So it was, there was strategy and there was also um, disciplined practice every single day, hammering the phones. And yeah, I got kicked off in the beginning for sure. But then you learn, you started building a pitch. 
I started understanding that the best way for me to generate interest in business, because it wasn't going to be a one call close anymore. This was completely relationship building. And when our customers had their customers plan an event, we were a vendor, right? So I didn't have control over the timing of the close. It was how do you build a strong enough relationship so that when they do have a need, they do have an event coming up that they call you first. We had to find our niche. You know, we weren't going to be the low cost provider, but, you know, we were competitive in that sense. We also had a, a large range of services that we could offer. We weren't a one trick pony. It's like, don't just call this person for backdrops for trade shows. We could do it all and a lot of custom stuff as well, which is very unique. We had some excellent designers. So, you know, I would always get my way to the decision maker or makers, set an appointment either via Zoom or actually in person. Being based in San Diego, I was driving up to, I would leave at 4 a.m. in the morning and I would do door knocking and, and appointments in LA, doing lunch and learns about what we could offer, right? So I would do either a breakfast, like, hey, I'll bring bagels and coffee. Just give me 30 minutes with your team, you know, and then I'll present what we can do. And same thing. And I'd have a, a lunch appointment in like an afternoon and then drive back home. So I was doing a, a ton of that and it worked. You know, I got a $400,000 custom trade show booth, which won several awards at CES. So he was... It was a really fun experience. It taught me a lot, especially about the discipline that it takes to, to be successful. We talked to another successful rep earlier today, I actually recorded another episode of the podcast, and they also brought up the door knocking and the food strategy. Did you just like show up with a bag of bagels or? You eat? <laughs> no, I, I would do 30 to 50 dials a day. Just build a list, throw it, throw some into a cadence, do the dials, you know, follow up with uh, emails, writing some content, always be showing, hey, this is what we can do. The times that I would go with like either a lunch and learn or, you know, a breakfast bagel, you know, show and tell, I would always have that preset. Uh, interesting story on that. So I presented one time to a very well-known company up in LA called Extraordinary Events. And the owner of that company was a figurehead in the event space. Her name is Andrea Michaels. And it was an honor to be in that room first and foremost and be presenting to her. And she pulled me aside after and said, that was one of the best sales presentations we've had. And she offered me a job. It was synergistic in a way. I was able to sell their event management services and use my own company, Double Dip, as my vendor. And I did that for a little while, helping her land some larger enterprise accounts like Suse and Indiegogo was my, my account. So it was cool because then I got to sell up into larger accounts while using my own company as the, the vendor for it. So it was a win-win. With those sort of experiences, right, you, you have this option to move into like VP of sales types of roles where you're managing teams or continuing as an individual contributor. You, it looks like after Day One Collective, you, you decided to go like from the ground up again. Why that path as opposed to, you know, in joining Seismic, which, you know, had a, probably a couple hundred employees when you joined. Why start at the, in the mailroom again, effectively? So at day one, being the first rep, I created a lot of the processes, you know, that we operated by in terms of our go-to-market, right? And our sales. So I, I did write scripts. I, you know, had the step-by-step in our sales process, all the stages and et cetera, and actually wound up helping train the rep. So I was the director of sales. I helped, you know, manage the sales team at the time. It was actually after day one that I left and, and came to Seismic. Yeah. So going from sales rep number one into joining this larger, larger organization, it was more of a, I could either go back into the startup world that I'd been living in, which can very much be an emotionally taxing roller coaster. I was actually looking at the time for a little bit more stability and found Seismic actually through a friend of mine who had gone to high school with and hadn't connected in a little while. 
he had actually started as a customer of Seismic, moved over to their solution consulting team, and then became a sales engineer and was one of their top sales engineers. And he said, hey, man, you got to check this company out because they were building Seismic in Carmel Valley, which is a total suburb. You wouldn't expect a tech company to come out of there at all. And so I was like, all right, I was in my hometown. So I, I actually cold called the VP of sales and explained to him my situation. I was like, hey, you know, I'm back in college right now. I don't have a degree. I know that's a requirement for you guys. Here's my experience. You know, I've built companies, successful sales rep. Here's my track record. And he's like, hey, man, don't worry. I went through a similar life path as you. And so he said, I can't offer you, given your situation, an outside role. But if you're willing to start from the ground up and work your way up, you know, we can open that door for you. And I originally was a little hesitant because I was like, I know I could go find an AE role anywhere else. Like, you know, I'm qualified for it. But I believed in Seismic. I didn't know too much about sales enablement, but I love sales, other salespeople, like another marketing professionals, because that's who I am. And I was like, oh, I get to sell a tool that helps them. That's great. Because you got to love your customers, right? You got to love the people that you serve. So I, that's where I was like, wow, sales enablement is awesome. And so that's where I grew a passion for this industry. And you know, since I started as a SDR, CDR that we call it, moved up into a director of inside sales, moved to the outside sales role, building our commercial team up to mid-market, now to enterprise. So it's it's been a quick rise. And uh, a lot of it was attributed to keeping the same successful habits I built. So as you kind of went through those transitions, I'm sure you were had to learn a ton about selling into new spaces, right into, you know, SMB space, mid-market space, ultimately enterprise space. Who did you look at inside the company as your role models and your competition, I guess? Who was your seismic Zig Ziglar? Yeah, there was a lot. And, you know, I met most of them through like my first SKO. They were so welcoming. The culture is awesome. It's a very winning culture at Seismic. And that comes from top down. Ed Kalman is an inspiration for me. And so some of the, the key reps that I always looked up to, Evan Kelsey, Chris Chandler, Colin Craig, Will Quigley, and directly on my team, Jesse Moriarty, Bobby Zerubin. Those are some of the gentlemen that I would go head to head against, you know, all of which taught me something. Jesse and Bobby had started about a year before me, maybe a year and a half. You know, Jesse and, and Bobby and Joey uh, Vendell is a manager of inside sales. They started on a fold out table in a back office room, cold calling the world's largest companies. They were awesome to, you know, help me just understand what it takes to be successful from an inside sales position. Then we grew all together. James Springetti was another mentor of mine. He was my sales manager. We were actually hired at the same time. He was hired in to manage the inside sales. And then we all grew up and then took over building the commercial segment of Seismic because we traditionally only sold really into the enterprise. It was bloody. There was a lot of competition, some very fierce competition. And so we didn't really have a product that was suited for it. We didn't really have messaging. We didn't really have good content around selling into the commercial space. So we had to do a lot ourselves. So it was very much like starting a startup within Seismic. As a rep, how technical do you choose to be? And where do you draw the line between what you do and what your solutions consultants do? Our solution consultants are more on the implementation side. Our sales engineers are more the pre-sales. I, I like to be very technical myself, but at the same time, have a strong business acumen and always be able to tie it back to value, right? If you're going to be demoing a feature and you stay feature function, you'll never elevate the conversation to where it needs to be, which is at an executive level. And keeping even mid-level managers thinking at that level too, because when they go internally and talk to their bosses, sell it, if they say, well, yeah, it's great. We can manage content. It's like, no, that's not what they care about. You know, you go, you go tell a, a CMO or C, CRO like, hey, yeah, you can manage our content better. It's like, so what? It's always answering that question. So what? Right. Oh, well, you know, we have this initiative here. We're going to market with a new product. And right now our sales reps can't find any of that information. So it's 
we tie it into a larger initiative product launch, right? So that's a big thing is knowing your stuff technically, but always being able to tie it back to business value throughout every conversation. Well, when you're pitching Seismic to new customers, what resonates right now with them that might be different than a year or two ago? So sales enablement as an industry has really only matured rapidly over the past 10 to 12 years, I'd say. I mean, the founding company, if you'll call it, was a company that Seismic actually wound up acquiring called Savo. They've been around for about 28, 30 years, but it really has taken on a true depth defined structure within an organization. I'd say really only in the past 10 years, and it's almost like a hockey puck growth. If you look at like titles on LinkedIn for sales enablement, uh, it's grown enormously. And what I would say as far as the future of that is it's it's going more in the direction of go-to-market enablement, not just sales enablement, right? Other people try to label it as revenue enablement, but I'm, I'm you know more keen on the go-to-market enablement because we're not a platform that's just used by sales reps, right? We want to have specific tools that enable marketers and content contributors, I call them. So anybody that's building content or providing information to field employees that could be, or sales employees, right? or, or even customer success, or even channel partners, right? So that's where I'm getting at is, again, we want to have tools that specifically enable every single individual on a go-to-market team. I don't know if the platform still does this. I, I remember getting a, a seismic demo way, way back. What they were trying to sell me was dynamic content generation, right? And this was reps need to be able to generate content on the fly. You know, there was sort of this configurability thing to it. Is that still a major focus or have you had to evolve the product in order to be more mass customer friendly? If I could take a step back from that, I have so much respect for the founding team at Seismic because they bootstrapped this company in the beginning and they solved seven, eight figure problems early on. They were able to solve big problems for big companies early on. So to give you the example of like a FinServe, an insurance company or a healthcare life science, we're heavily regulated industries. There was a lot of compliance, right? And it would take armies of marketers to update every single quarter, the pitch books, the fact sheets that a, you know, a broker would use, for example, in financial services. And there was a lot of inherent risk. If somebody you know, missed a disclaimer or something like that, the SEC comes and slaps a heavy fine. So to be able to automate that and ensure compliance at scale, that's a big problem that they solved, right? So they were able to land large accounts, drive big revenue influx into the business. And it still remains a big part of our company today because, again, it solves big problems. Are you, in general, selling the same thing over and over? Or are you building out custom packages for your different customers that you have? So as Seismic's grown and made some strategic acquisitions, now we have more SKUs to sell. At the time when I started, we were an all-you-can-eat platform for the most part. So it was a single SKU pretty much um, and selling approximately the same thing, but tailored to specific industry based on their needs, right? Like, for example, a tech company may not need a live doc to start. You know, they may just need the core sales even offering. But, you know, for example, a healthcare life science company or, you know, a FinServe, that's where you're starting with is, you know, the live doc. So but now we've got things, uh, tools that we can sell, uh, such as Live Social, which is an amazing platform I'm using daily now to help increase my social advocacy, but also build my social brand, improve my SSI score on LinkedIn. It's super easy to use. Uh, and it's something that I find is extremely impactful as we move a lot of our conversations into social media to help drive awareness of yourself and your, and your business. Um, so now it's really, we have a lot more to sell, a lot more that we can offer in a true, it's a broad platform that can solve a lot of problems for the business. 
Well, uh, the last question I asked, I wanted to ask you, since you have a, an entrepreneurial bug and a passion for sales, is something I have been asking folks lately, which is imagine a VC came to you and offered you a pile of money to go build something that would help you be a more effective seller, you know, non-competitive with what you're doing. What would you start? What would you build? The market is so crowded, Jeremy, if you look at the sales and MarTech space that I'm not quite sure I'd jump into it, to be honest. It's becoming a red ocean with a lot of bigger sharks. Well, we can switch gears then. If you were to start something outside of sales, what would you do? I go where the money moves. I did start a company in the midst of COVID-19 that helped people obtain their unemployment benefits and PPP loans. There was a lot of individuals that didn't know that they could qualify or were struggling or had put in their applications wrong. I helped uh, start a company. It was mainly a consulting firm with you know lead generation funnels throughout the web and a lot through social where we helped people come in through a funnel. We were the experts in it. We'd help them with their application. I built a team out in the Philippines of 10 full-time dialers that would just call through into, for example, in California, the EDD for unemployment, get them connected to a rep and actually help them fix so they could get their money. We wouldn't charge people up front. We'd only charge them a portion of what we're able to help them collect and get people on the right track. I had to step out of it again, as I now focus more on seismic, but it's a great company, helped a lot of people. Well, Chris, it was awesome having you on the show, learning from you about your day one sales experiences, but also your you know now large company experiences. I did see Seismic as like pages and pages of open opportunities. So if people want to uh, learn more about Seismic or get a, a role there, what, what's the best way for them to get in touch with you? Yeah. So hit me up on LinkedIn, message me. Uh, very active on that. Um, my email is just first letter, last name. So ccornbrust at seismic.com. You know, welcome any conversations. I've helped place several people here and absolutely love the company and the culture. So yeah, if you are interested, apply online, of course, but uh, I'm more than happy to be a resource. Outstanding. Thanks for being on. Absolutely. Thanks, Jeremy. Thanks, Shonday. Bye, Chris. Hey, Salespeople is a production made in partnership with Frequency Media. I'm your host, Jeremy Donovan. This podcast is available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever podcasts are found. Thanks for listening to the Hey Salespeople podcast.